readers, it's Mrs. Garrett, and I want, want to tell you just how proud I am of you. I think um, from your double-sided journal, there's serious evidence that you've become more powerful readers and thinkers, and you've grown, and you've grown as readers and writers because now you expect compli complicated characters. You don't just go with the very first thing that you think of. You're really investigating characters, not just their positive attributes, but also their unlikable sides. And I think that this is really great work. So whenever you're reading, I want you to layer new work on top of it. Reading is kind of like a sport, like you get better, but then you learn more moves and that move, all those moves and skills makes you a better athlete or a better musician. Today, I want to invite you to do something that makes you an even more powerful reader. I want you to think about the impact of settings on characters as well as groups on characters and how that impacts the mood or the atmosphere of the story. In the read aloud today, let's try out some of this thinking work. This is going to be a long listen today. So I just want you to just sit back, close your eyes. Well, don't close them too much because I don't want any snoring. But here's a tip. When the setting of a story seems ordinary, like it's just a school, you just have to think extra hard. Some readers would say the setting is just middle school. Now, thinking the setting doesn't really matter, but you'll be the kind of readers, and I know that about you, who ask, well, what kind of school? It's kind of about this. Don't accept everything that you are told. Start thinking deeply. Think about how do you act? How do you think deeply? You ask questions. Well, what kind of school is this? Now, is this the kind of school where kids are good to each other? Is there a place where kids can be cruel or hurtful? Because when you ask all those deep, deep questions and you take the time to think, you're going to develop theories about how the mood or the atmosphere of this particular place shapes the characters. So ready, we're going to be reading aloud, Will, from this story um, that I've been reading for the next last couple of weeks. Now, some of you have already heard this story, but I'm going to read the entire story today, and I'll do a little thinking work in between as a model for your thinking work and your writing work. And if you recall from this story, Will's a little older. Last time we read, he was in fourth grade. And this story, Will is in eighth grade. Ready? Let's start reading. And as we do, I want you to ponder what kind of place is this? What might also we consider about the reading work we need to do to understand what's going on? Even though we're focusing our, shift, uh, our thinking to setting and the pressures in groups, we'll probably want to draw on some of the character work we already have been doing earlier as we get to know this older Will. So I looked at um, the, some of the story here, and remember, this is where he's in middle school, and let me just say that he's a different kid. I think you're going to notice it soon. It's called The Fight at the Beginning. It began with a basketball game. Mike Dichter and I went up for the same rebound, and I accidentally stuck my elbow in his chest. And then Mike stuck his elbow in my chest, pointed a finger at me, and he told me to watch out. Now, in those days, I had a reputation for toughness to maintain. So I told him that he better watch out, 
And on the next rebound, neither of us watched out. And both of us got elbows in the chest. Then we started shoving each other under the basket and pointing fingers and making threatening faces, which was fine with me because looking threatening was one of the things I did best. Before things could get out of hand, however, Jim ended. And Mike and I glared at each other and went back to our respective homerooms. Now, this story is already calling us to think about character traits, isn't it? So think about this. Most of the stories does make you think about it. does. Most stories make you kind of think about the characters. The good thing is that you know a lot about ways to really consider characters. I want you to think about the anchor charts in some of your lessons. And I want you to think about some of the things that we're already finding out. It's four years later. Will seems to have some issues about wanting to be cool. And now it's almost worse. He wants to just dominate. It wasn't about just being popular. Now he wants to dominate. And he he's not just to be accepted. So he's taking it to a whole new level. Maybe hanging out with the cool kids has gone to his head. You're thinking, I'm sure, the same thing. One thing we're realizing is that we don't stop doing character trait work when we take on a new lens. Now, thinking about characters can be something you do almost automatically, like thinking about the people in your life. And then you have to push yourself to think about some new aspects of a story. Well, let's read that part, that we know what happens and how pushy Will is. Only this time, let's read with the lens of setting. Ask yourself, what kind of gym class is this? What's the mood? Is it lighthearted? Is it something else? I'll think about it as well, and we can compare our thinking when we see each other in person. Now think now, what words would you use to describe this gym class? I want you to think about that for a minute. Just as you did the start of this unit, when you first start thinking about characters, try to reach for exactly the right words and jot these down. Hey, think about that. The mood doesn't seem lighthearted or playful. It feels like something else, like, I don't know, it's like kind of like watch out, finger pointing, chests in being stuck in another, like the elbows being thrust in someone's chest. It kind of feels mean to me, kind of nasty and, and sportsmanlike. What do you think? What words do you think? I want you to think about that because this is what you would do when you are thinking. You would jot those thoughts down in your double-sided journal. So, you're doing some nice work. Let's think about that the mood of this gym is nasty, competitive, intimidating, and fake. And how might that setting of nasty, competitive, intimidating, and fake shape the character? I'm guessing, just like you, if you were in this setting, that Will's actions and decisions will be affected by this atmosphere. So we're going to read on and figure out how this place might shape and wrap around Will. How that nasty, mean, competitive, intimidating setting can actually influence him. Here I go again. I'm going to read on. Before things could get out of hand, however, Jim ended and Mike and I glared at each other and went back to our respective homerooms. Things probably could have could have taken a peaceful turn if I hadn't walked home with Kevin Cox after school and told him that the next time Mike and I played basketball, I was really going to throw some elbows. And if he, Mike, didn't like it, I would fight him anytime, anywhere. I don't know why I said this. 
Perhaps I was thinking of the Mike I had known a year before. Perhaps I was thinking of a thin, gullible, good-natured Mike who had since grown four inches, gained 15 pounds, and become as humorless and menacing as a drill sergeant. Kevin looked at me doubtfully. Do you really think you can take him, he asked me. Now, since Kevin had always been one of my most loyal and servile followers, I was astonished by his doubt in my physical prowess. I know I can take him, I said. He's three inches taller than you, Kevin said. So, he's really strong. I'm really strong. Kevin shrugged. Okay, he said, but I think Mike could take you. Now, it was my turn to shrug. It was also my turn to lay a condescending hand upon Kevin's shoulder and leave him to ponder his absurd and traitorous notions. The next day in school, everything proceeded as usual. I listened to the teachers, took notes, fell asleep, made a few uncalled-for remarks, and fell asleep again. Now, during lunch, I was sitting with a table full of friends, talking and listening in my usual superior way when I heard Mike Dichter say, Hey, buddy! Somehow I knew that he meant me. Somehow I also knew that all kinds of jigs weren't up and that something momentous was going to happen. I turned to look at him. I hear you want to fight me, he said. That's right, I said. I'll meet you after school. Oh, I'll be there, I said. Then he walked away, and I discovered two interesting things about myself. The first was that the idea of fighting terrified me. And the second was that in moments of extreme fear, my body produced ice-cold sweat. Someone said something to me, and I smiled and nodded. Someone said something else to me, and I smiled and nodded that too. Perhaps they were giving me advice. Perhaps they were telling me to stay low and leave with my left. I stood up without really knowing I was standing up, and I walked from the cafeteria to the playground. I had never felt so lonely or so frightened in my life. Somehow I had taken a wrong turn and wound up in the wrong day in the wrong body with the wrong future. Somehow in three hours I was going to be in a real fight with real fists and there was no way out of it. I know that you are thinking, readers, that some serious stuff is going on here. Why does Will have to be so silly, so, so foolish and superior? I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about the plot and the place and Will's actions and traits. And I think right now of how snotty Will can be. And he's definitely going to get himself into trouble. And I'm with you. He's with kind of push ourselves in our thinking to do the new work we're trying to take on as we're reading about setting and how it can influence characters. Now in a moment, I want you to continue with that thinking. But first, let's consider what we know about the setting and how it's shaping well. Usually, when we study a place, we consider the season or the time period or the city where it takes place. But the setting is more than that. Setting is more than that. Setting is not just place. Setting is not just the season. Setting is not just the time period. Setting is the mood. Setting can be the atmosphere of a place. The way a place shapes a, a person is often about the way the place feels. Now, I'm thinking of that last story in this one and how school has changed for Will. Think about that. In the first story, Will was in elementary school, and his school, or at least the yard at recess, was kind of intimidating. Being with the cool kids meant playing tag, making jokes in the playground. Now he's in middle school, in eighth grade. 
Gym class, anyhow, has become threatening. And being with the cool kids is very different now. So the setting, even though it's real school in both stories, has changed significantly. So we have the biggest changes in the setting in mind. Let's reread, noticing details of this, how this place has changed. And let's kind of think to ourselves, what kind of place is this? And how might this place be affecting well? I'm actually not going to read. I just want you to think about the part of the story where Will was up in the cafeteria and Mike came up to him. I'll meet you after school. I hear you want to fight me. I'll be there. Someone said something to me, blah, blah, blah. Well, go ahead and I want you to think. It's kind of tricky now, right? Because right now, Will is kind of feeling like, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? What do you think Will means when he says all kinds of jigs were up? Maybe like he's about to be found out. What does this suggest about the place that he's in if he's going to be discovered to be kind of a fake person? Now I see some clues in the story about how the setting influences characters and I think right now how Mike has like Mike has changed dramatically right before he was kind of a skinny kid now he's big and tough some said that Will seems to kind of be with a bunch of friends in the cafeteria being superior and I'm sure you're noting that fighting over a gym class is kind of ridiculous but he's doing that then the next step is to put all these clues together to analyze how setting impacts the whole story first I think about all the details including those in the beginning and I want you to think about this All of the details about the setting was like really about gym class. Nasty, intimidating place. Now I'm adding in that the kids have become bigger and tougher. And the cafeteria seems like a place where kids are just posing. Like, you know, just trying to be like YouTube viral. And Will is acting kind of superior. And Mike is acting tough. And all the other kids seem to be just watching. All those details help me think two things. This school is a place where it's important to be tough. And it's also a place. It's also a place where you, where what you show on the outside matters more than what you feel on the inside. Everyone seems to be acting. And Will fits right in. It's like he wants to fit into this place, and this is a tough place. We're going to read a little bit more. And then we're going to put this all together and to expand our theories and confirm them. Let me read on. My biggest problem I knew was that I didn't hate Mike or even dislike him. I had no animal rage to ball my hands and fists and thrust him into action. No deep-seated envy or resentment to impel me toward him with the object of destruction. All I had was fear and pride, which is a pretty poor combination as far as fighting is concerned. Because all pride could do was guarantee that I show up for the fight and all fear could do was guarantee that I lose it. The rest of the day passed in a haze of anticipation and dread. I sat through my classes, a smiling, silent shell of my former self, and I tried to look as casual and confident as usual. Now and then, I would look up at the clock and realize the fight was only one hour and 49 minutes away. One hour and 40 minutes, I tried to tell myself that it might only be a one or two punch fight, that maybe Mike would throw a punch, and then I would throw a punch, and we would both smile, throw up arms around each other, and become friends for life. But I knew 
that it would not be a one or two punch fight. No, I knew it would be a fight to some extreme and horrifying limit. A fight to unconsciousness or hospitalization or <clears throat> reconstructive surgery. Hmm. I want to read on, but I want us to take some time to think about what's happening. I want you to think about what's happening in this story and what's happening with the setting. What kind of place is this? Right? Is it ordinary? What's the mood? How do people treat each other? I want you to think about that as we are continuing to consider this story. I want you to think about how the setting absolutely influences influences um, the the characters in the story. So as I continue to read on, I want you to think about how my, how seriously this setting is going to um, impact. And I'm turning my pages right now so I can get you the rest of the story. Um, and we're going to find out what happens during the fight. I want you to think about how does the character fit in. I want you to think about how, well, how do the groups impact each other. And I want you to think about it's a cliffhanger that it just stopped, right? So here it is again. I want you to expect characters to be complicated. I want you to revise your thinking in the face of new evidence. Look at characters' less likable sides. I want you to remember that traits do matter more than others because they affect the rest of the story. I want you to consider the pressures that are exerted on characters. And I want you to think about what kind of place this is. Consider the mood of the place, the atmosphere, how the people treat each other, how the author uses specific language evoking emotions and images. And then I want you to think, is the character torn? Is something in the setting putting the character between competing pressures? During my walks, we're going to do the read aloud, the second half of the story. During my walks from class to class, I discovered that most of the eighth grade had taken sides and that my side consisted of me and a few foreign exchange student named Hans and two girls whose hearts I had not yet broken. The rest of my peers were masked behind Mike, eager to see me put in my place once and for all. The last class of the day was shop. We were all told by our teacher, Mr. Bledsoe, to work on our special projects. My special project was a skateboard, so I began sanding its nose and trying with all my might not to think about the fight. It is said that there is nothing like working with wood to take one's mind off a problem, but it could also be said that there is nothing like a problem to take one's mind off working with wood. No matter how intensely I sanded the nose of my skateboard, the fight was with, always with me, and the air around me seemed as thin as alpine or Himalayan air. I tried to tell myself that in three hours, it would all be over, that I would be in my own house, in my own room, and the fight would be a memory, but three hours would not be enough if I lost the fight. A month would not be enough to heal my humiliation. What would be enough, I asked myself? Six months? No. A year? Yes, a year would be enough. In a year, I would be able to look back on this day and smile, or perhaps laugh. In a year, the fight would be a distant memory, and I would be a different person with different friends and new reasons 
to feel confident and proud. So I close my eyes and I ask God to please make it a year later, to please take me out of this year and place me in the next. With my eyes closed, I almost believed the time was racing past me, that eggs were being laid, chicks were being hatched, growing, plump, laying their own eggs and dying. Unfortunately, when I opened my eyes, I knew that I was still 13, still in shop class, and the fight was waiting to be fought. I thank God anyway, guessing I had prayed the wrong prayer. I looked at the clock and saw that I had 10 minutes left. I did not even try to sand my skateboard those last 10 minutes. Instead, I drifted into a pleasant state of suspected animation where there was no joy, no fear, no pride, no regret. And during this time, my pulse rate and respiration dropped. The blood in my veins slowed to a crawl, and I believed I stopped aging. And then the bell rang, and my time was up. And during my walks from class to class, I discovered... So I want you to think about this. I'm sorry, I'm rereading that here. Oh, we were to meet in front of the school. When I got there, I saw a crowd of 50 or 60 people waiting awaiting my arrival. And under different circumstances, I would have been pleased by the turnout. But the hopelessness of my position offset whatever theoretical lift I might have felt. I did, however, smile. I was, after all, the other half of the act. I was not about to look somber or scared or penitent or for anyone. I saw Mike Ticta standing 15 or 20 feet away, looking as menacing as ever. He fixed his eyes on me for a moment and then kissed his girlfriend, Linda Lieben. I had foolishly broken up with her ten months before, and now as Mike was kissing her, he looked. she looked at me as though she would soon have her revenge. And then before I knew it, someone said, let's go, and everyone started walking toward the park two blocks away. Strangely, I felt not like a boy on his way to a fight, but like a king on his way to the gallows. These were not my classmates before me, but peasants in revolt. My wife had already been beheaded. My children sold the horses. My servants set free. I tried to put everything in perspective to assure myself that it was only a fight and that losing was no disgrace. And maybe I wouldn't lose. Maybe I was one of those people who did not know his own strength until he was confronted. Maybe I was still, I was facing Mike. Some inherited ancient instinct would propel me toward his throat and give me the strength of ten men. My father was certainly a powerful man. My father at certain times was one of the most powerful and frightening men I knew. Up to that moment, all I thought I had inherited from him was his pride and his nose. But maybe once I was standing face to face with Mike, Victor, I would discover that I had inherited his blind rage and lion heart as well. Now when we got to the park, a short discussion about the rules of the fight took place. First, it was decided that kicking and biting should not be allowed. Then that kicking should be allowed, but not scratching. During this time, I was standing by a stone water fountain, breathing slowly and wondering when the blood of my father and his father and his father's father was going to show itself. I still couldn't summon enough rage or fury or indignation to make me want to fight Mike or anyone else. All I could do was hope that I was subconsciously feeling those things and was merely biding my time. A fighter's fight, I heard someone say. No ridiculous rules. This motion was contemplated, then carried everyone, everything aloud. No ridiculous rules. Should we take our shirts off, I asked, hoping to postpone things a little longer. Whatever, someone said. 
And with all that, the decisions were made and there was nothing for Mike and me to do but face each other and fight. Tim Hamilton, our referee, walked us to a clearing and told us to shake hands and fight whenever we were ready. For a moment, Mike and I just looked at each other. Then Mike crouched a little. I did not know why. And he began to circle me. I knew I should move in and attack immediately. But I was rooted where I stood. Did you catch some of those nasty group dynamics? I want you to think. Look at your notes and think about it. You, what kind of group mentality do we have? It's almost like a mob, right? That eighth grade kids were vicious together. They were, they were egging people on. They were creating rules and there were no teachers around. I want you to think about that and think about the group. I'm going to continue reading. Then Mike crouched a little. And I actually read that already. And then things began to happen very quickly. In an instant, Mike was on me and my legs buckled and we were wrestling on the ground. In an effort to prove I could fight as dirty as anyone, I gingerly grabbed his leg and discovered that I neither the will nor the strength to squeeze. So that's how you want to play, Mike said, grabbing my leg a good deal less gingerly and wrestling me onto my back. Somehow, I was able to get out from under him and a great deal of grappling, kicking, scratching, and punching ensued while the crowd yelled for another, for either Mike or me to do something that I could not quite make out. And then I saw blood on my shirt and I wondered who was bleeding. Before I could find out, Mike was on top of me and my arms were pinned under his knees and he was hitting me very hard in the face. Curiously, I hardly felt the punches. All I felt was the dull impact of the blows and all I heard were the shrieks and hollers of the crowd along with a thump Thump, thump of fist hitting cheek, ear, chin, forehead, and occasionally mouth. For some reason, I was very relaxed, perhaps because I sensed that I was only getting what I deserved. After all, I had feasted on my own glory and egotism for three years. The check was bound to come. Kill him! I heard Linda Lieben cry. Kill him! So Mike reached back and hit me on the side of the head with the hardest punch he had thrown yet. Give, he said. I shook my head. Okay, he said, reaching back to kill me again. He repeated this eight or nine times. And after each punch, he said, give. And I said, no, or shook my head and he reached back again. And then for an instant, I had had enough. And for one brief moment, the blood of my father and his father and his father's fathers welled up within me. And I put my hands under Mike's knees, lifting him in the air, held him there, and threw him off me. The crowd gasped, and for a moment, Mike looked surprised, even scared. I stood up to my full height, and the full height of my pride and dignity, but I did not know what to do next. I was no more willing to fight now than I had been before, and the moment passed, and my fury ebbed. And before I knew it, Mike was on top of me, picking up where he had left off. Soon... I could not distinguish one punch from another, and my ears burned, and the noises around me seemed to be coming from the other end of a hollow tube. I saw glimpses of faces, but I did not see friends or former friends. All I saw was a crowd, and all I heard was a crowd's noise. I knew it was all over. The love notes, the phone calls, the envy, the adulation. Each punch robbed me of another friend, another heart, another follower, from here on out, it would just be me and my TV and my memories of glory. And then one by one or two by two, 
The lights went out in my mind and Mike's legs were around my stomach and I couldn't breathe. Give, he said. I shook my head. He squeezed harder. Give. Why not? The last light in my mind said, all I'm giving him is the fight. So I gave. I gave him the fight, the love notes, the phone calls, the envy, the adulation, and the arrogant hull of who I had been. And for a moment, just for a moment, I felt very light, almost weightless. Whoa. I want you to think about what I just read. They are, I mean, this is just some kind of reading, huh? Whew. It's kind of scary to think about what happened, right? We have a lot of things to unwrap. And today, as you are reading your book club book, I want you to think and focus on the influence of the setting on the characters. Ask yourself, what kind of place is this? Use evidence and reasoning in your response in your double-sided journal. What's the mood? What's the atmosphere? How do people treat each other? Notice how the author's specific language kind of gives you emotions and images. Is a character torn? Is something in the setting pulling a character between competing pressures? I want you to think about that and what the group dynamics is. And I want you to know that your book club reading, um, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job in your double-sided journal, and I'm really, really proud of you. So off you go to your own reading and apply the thinking that I just shared with you in your own double-sided journal today. Good luck.